With Tim Hortons Two Hot Breakfast Sandwiches for six bucks deal, you can mix and match your favorites. Mix and match between savory sausage or naturally hickory smoked bacon. Mix and match between an English muffin or flaky biscuit. Any two served with a freshly cracked egg and melted cheese. You can even mix and match how you share it. One for you, one for them. Two for them, or two just for you. There's no wrong way to mix and match this tasty deal. Two breakfast sandwiches for just six bucks. It's time for Tim's. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. Single item at regular price. Modifications and tax extra. Additional terms apply. Ready for the interview, and if you get a cue, live on a laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real, that's the motto. Real talk, pronto, Dr. D, PhD, hit the intro. Hold up, wait, gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. Gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. Hi, Juliana, you're here on the network. Thank you for joining me this evening. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, of course. So uh, we're going to talk about a few things, but specifically Ibogaine. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Ibogaine. Ibogaine. I heard a little bit about this. I'm big. I I enjoy um, talking about psychedelics and, you know, the movement of things happening here, but it's the least that I know about, I would say, Mm -hmm. about this. So let's talk about a little bit about what is Ibogaine? And then we're going to jump into, into your journey around this whole deal. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, Ibogaine is often the last psychedelic that people find out about because it's so different than the other ones people typically know, like LSD, mushrooms, and peyote. And that's because Ibogaine, well, it comes from a plant called Iboga, but um, it is in it is a psychedelic, but it's in a different category of drugs. It is not a hallucinogen. It's something called an onergenic drug, which is Uh, a dream state drug. And there's not many drugs in this category that are commonly known about. So the difference with Ibogaine is it hits every receptor site in your brain, whereas hallucinogens only target a few of them. Um, And so Ibogaine has a plethora of effects that are dramatically different than hallucinogens. It's also not something you would ever do recreationally. Whereas hallucinogens are more, can be more outward journeys where you can interact with people and the outside world. Um, Ibogaine kind of leads you to turn inward. And so you're basically in a dreamlike state laying down for the experience. You're not asleep and you're not awake. You're somewhere in between having closed eye visions. Um, If somebody were to uh, ask you a question, you would respond maybe with a 10 or 15 second delay. So you're very much in this kind of inward journey. And a number of things can happen on this journey. Um, People report a whole plethora of things, but um, it's long. It can be hard. It can bring up a lot of emotional stuff you don't really want to deal with. Um, And so it's not something that you would do again right away afterwards. Often people say, wow, that was amazing, but I'm never doing it again. (laughs) So I think that that's, there's a couple of reasons why it gets left out of the mainstream psychedelic conversation. One, because it's not recreational and it's not something people usually try unless they have a really big, difficult issue they want to work on. Two, there are side effects that are dangerous. It's the only psychedelic that you can die from. Although there's some ayahuasca associated deaths, they're usually because of other health conditions going on. With Ibogaine, because of its cardiotoxic side effects, you have to be medically screened and supervised throughout the process. And it's totally safe. I mean, any if, if you follow the right protocol, just like any medication in the hospital, there's a protocol you have to follow, which 
will make it so it is safe. But if you don't follow this protocol, um, someone could end up in the hospital or dead. So that's also the big difference with other psychedelics that kind of scares people away, even though there is a safety protocol to follow. Are there other physical uh, things that happen during Ibogaine that may not happen with other psychedelics? Like, is there vomiting? Is there other uh, yeah. bodily functions occurring that you would be like, whoa, whoa, I'm not, this is not what I thought was going to happen. Well, I mean, there's a ton of vomiting with ayahuasca. So yes, more yeah. than Ibogaine. And actually not everybody vomits with Ibogaine. Sometimes it's not guaranteed though. Um, and even if you do, I've experienced it and it's, it's not as bothersome as with ayahuasca. That's incredibly, um, a painful process, but also with Ibogaine is it does something called, it causes something called ataxia, which is a loss of balance. So you're not able to stand up or walk on your own. You need assistance if you have to walk to the bathroom. So you're essentially just laying on your back the whole time in this dreamlike state. Um, you also, I'm trying to think of other unique effects. It just, it feels completely different. It doesn't feel anything like a hallucinogen. Um, it kind of, you, you can get a numb kind of fuzzy feeling going on. Whereas with hallucinogens, in my experience, they make you more sensitive to sensations. Ibogaine kind of tunes out external sensations and turns you more inward to feeling sensations. I think that's the best way to describe it. At least that's been my personal experience yeah. and what I've witnessed working with it. You know, it's interesting in my, in my psychedelic experiences I've had where, you know, it's been four to six hours. It feels like eight, nine, 10 hours, like super yeah. intense. What is the kind of general length of the experience with Ibogaine? So if you're doing a typical one night dosing, which is what many clinics do, uh, it's eight to 12 hours ish Ooh. is the primary. Yeah. The strong effects. And then even after that, there is a 24 hour processing period uh, where you're not in it, but you're not out of it all the way. You're just processing what happened. And sometimes it can go on longer than this. Sometimes people stay in a in the intense state for longer than that. Sometimes people stay in the after state for three days. Um, it really depends on the person and their metabolism. So it's kind of a wild card in that way. And also in Gabon and Cameroon and parts of the Congo where they've used it traditionally as a part of a religion called Bwiti, they can do different types of dosing depending on the village and the type of buiti they're doing. Some places might do um, dosing over a longer period of time, which would leave you in the experience longer. And they also feed you the the root bark. It's the it's the root, the second layer of wood on the bark of the plant. And so they're eating spoonfuls of essentially wood mulch as opposed to the pure ibogaine. Um, and the reason they use pure ibogaine because it's it's just not practical for people to eat huge piles of bark, especially because most, a lot of people coming to this in the West are doing it for drug detox reasons. Um, and so eating 30 to 40 spoonfuls of wood mulch just isn't practical when people are already not in great health. Yeah, no, I, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned kind of where uh, this is happening. Is there a typical region beyond where you just discussed where, uh, Ibogaine ceremonies happen or where the kind of the discovery of this has been uh, has been most prominent. So the ceremonies take place in Gabon and Southern Cameroon, and that's Buiti and they are using Iboga. They don't use Ibogaine. They use the whole bark. I see. The clinics and retreats that are using it, uh, they're the highest concentrations in Mexico. There's also a number of places in Costa Rica, some of which are doing 
neo booty um sometimes i call it white people booty because it's <laughs> people that have trained in gabon under um ngangas and mimas but uh which is like shamans basically in booty but they're doing kind of their own version of it so that's pop more popular in costa rica but i would say most of the people that i work with are going to mexico and there's also some places in portugal as well um spain greece has one they're they're more and more popping up around the world, but Mexico is the most popular place for U.S. citizens. Can you speak a little bit about kind of like the origin of ibogaine in a sense like, uh, you know, yeah. you have these, especially in psychedelics, you have this kind of this whole thing of this very long ancient history of native peoples in different places using mm -hmm. uh, these and, and practices. And ibogaine, what was what's the origin story for ibogaine? What was it originally like thought to be? Um, used so, it. yeah, so Iboga has been used in that region I mentioned, uh, Gabon, southern Cameroon, parts of the Congo. We don't really know how long, centuries? There's some debate about it. And uh, some people say Bwiti is an evolution of a pygmy religion and that the pygmies were using it before then. Um, a lot of people have said, oh, it's been thousands of years that Iboga have been used. It's not super clear, but it definitely seems quite ancient. And I've been there and watched the ceremonies and um, it feels really special and old to me, although that's not official. Um, so, I, so I don't really know. I can't really say for sure, but it's something that's been going on there um, definitely since colonization and before that. Um, and how it got to the West was, well, first of all, in the early part of the 1900s, France had, you know, taken, stolen some from Gabon and brought it back and they synthesized it into this low dose Ibogaine energy pill, um, which was, wasn't on the market for very long. It was a small amount. So it wasn't like the full dose, obviously, or they wouldn't have marketed it for energy. Um, they took it off the market after a while. And then it was just kind of sitting around in labs. And in the early 1960s, a man named Howard Lotsoff uh, who had friends working at a university chemistry lab, was given Ibogaine uh, and was told, this is some weird psychedelic from Africa. Do you want to try it? He said, sure. At the time, he was dependent on heroin. He took this Ibogaine by himself. And the next, he had a, you know, a really intense wild night. And the next day, he was not in withdrawal from heroin and he didn't want to go get any heroin. And, and this is quite a miraculous thing for someone dependent on heroin. So he started treating other friends who were dependent on heroin with this and the same thing was happening to them and so Howard Lotsoff and his wife Norma Lotsoff spearheaded the development of Ibogaine for the treatment of substance use issues through the 60s 70s 80s 90s and in the mid 90s their FDA actually started clinical trials which were abruptly halted and called off partway through and it's not super clear why that happened um, unfortunately, but Howard did train um, a number of people. He was helping to give treatments in the Netherlands in the 80s and some other treatments through the 90s. And so a lot of the um, people working, we call them Ibogaine providers now, a lot of the older ones were trained by Howard or people he trained back then. So he's kind of like the Western Ibogaine treatment grandfather. Isn't that interesting how, you know, something that literally like one dose or one experience could take someone and completely alter the trajectory of their addiction or their experience. But then there's this hesitancy uh, by larger institutions to want to research it and support it 
I find that very interesting always. It's almost like there's certain places they don't want people to feel better almost like instantly. There's no revenue in constant. Like if someone goes, I'm good, <laughs> you know, like. Well, that's this, the thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, the FDA doesn't approve one-time treatments. I think right. that's part of the reason it's always maintenance treatments. So, yes. um, I don't know, you know, I think that the way that Ibogaine will get into the U.S., it'll have to be marketed in a different way. There's already people trying to make a version of it that take, that removes the psychedelic component and yeah. turns it into like a, a opioid maintenance. I mean, which is great. Anything that helps people get through withdrawal is awesome, but it's not the same as having a full Ibogaine yeah. experience. So, But isn't that at odds like with wanting like... To me, like there's an ethical issue is like, oh, yeah, one time this is going to help somebody kick this. Mm -hmm. Like all people should want that. Somebody to like not have to go through this terrible withdrawal well, that's, process. You that's know? capitalism for exactly. you. Exactly. They, they yes. don't really care. It's it's about, you know, what's going to be the most profitable ultimately. And you can see that with the price of insulin. I mean, how is that legal? Those people should be arrested, in my opinion. Even though I don't believe in the carceral system, those people should, something should happen to them. Can you believe that? How in incredible the pricing of insulin is. Like when I read about this, I was like, how is this even possible? You know, it's like. It's, uh, it's inconceivable. I don't know how. I mean, these are people, possible. like people yeah. who need this. And it's so just like always yeah. putting the financial uh, windfall of money well before the well-being of people. It's almost like we just don't want people to be well, like to be optimal, you know? Right. And that is the reason why I am a little scared of Ibogaine being passed and being available in our medical system, because we do not have a good track record of supporting people's actual health. I mean, many marginalized communities have been violently treated violently by the medical system repeatedly over the years. And I don't, you know, I don't know if I trust our system to handle Ibogaine well, although I do want it to be available to more people. It's, I don't know, it's tricky. It is tricky. It's really tricky. And so let's wrap this into your story. And as I was kind of checking out, reading your bio and stuff, I mean, you have a history with uh, like opioids, correct? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I imagine this is a large uh, kind of intervention into that aspect of your life. Yep. Yeah. Uh, many of us who work on Ibogaine have a substance use history. That's how we ended up working here. Um, but yeah, I was for the most of my 20s, the majority of my 20s, I was a opioid user, heroin, fentanyl, like any, anything in the opioid category. And I went through traditional rehab two times. I had to serve time in jail. I did 12-step programs, Suboxone and Methadone. And none of that seems to be working for me well, um, at least not in a lasting way. And so I found out about Ibogaine a few years before I did it, but didn't have the money to go and do it. So it took me a few years of going through some, some more really hard things. And then I went and did Ibogaine in Guatemala. And um, the short story is it worked and I never did opioids again. And I realized my purpose in life was to not just work with Ibogaine, but work to transform the whole drug treatment system in the US and how we understand substance use because it's incredibly flawed and violent how we treat drug users. Um, but I had those wonderful effects from Ibogaine 
but the treatment provider uh, was not following safety protocols and my treatment ended in a hospital, um, which is why I'm so safety focused. So what happened during my treatment was um, they did not follow one of the rules of treatment, which is to stabilize people after they arrive, especially, especially people who have really high tolerance. And so they did not do that with me. They started dosing me. 24 hours after I had arrived, that was mistake number one. And then they gave me close to double the amount that's safe to give anybody. Um, so anyone given the dose I got probably would have ended up dead or in the hospital. Wow. So I ended up having six cardiac arrests, which I had to be resuscitated from. And then I was on an external pacemaker in the ICU in Guatemala for 10 days. Um, the cardiac stuff is temporary once Ibogaine is out of my system, things went back to normal. Um, nor Ibogaine, which is what your liver turns Ibogaine into, stays in your system for a while. But luckily uh, at the 10 day mark, my heart was back to normal. And so I was okay, but it was a pretty close call and it was totally avoidable. And it's why I have been so safety focused ever since that happened. And it's I'm kind of known as a safety and protocol person, not just for the medical stuff, but mental health as well. Um, so that's what happened. But I remember waking up in the hospital, kind of not caring uh, that I had almost just died. I felt incredibly excited and inspired. I had, Ibogaine showed me that everything I had been through was training to do the work I was supposed to do. I didn't, I suddenly didn't feel any shame and guilt about everything that had happened, um, which is the big thing. It's why a lot of people who use drugs, a lot of people who have struggled with drugs can't move on because they feel so bad about the things they've done and society makes them feel so terrible. It's like a heavy weight that you're carrying around and you just feel ashamed of who you are. That was just gone when I did Ibogaine. And um, I saw what I finally had my purpose, which is a big part of why I felt so lost before is I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing in this lifetime. And so suddenly I had that. It was like I was on fire. Um, and from that point, I just made my plan of what I was going to do to prepare to work in Ibogaine clinics. And um, I was off and running from there, basically. So it worked. All right. That's a wild story. You know, yeah. like, really, I mean, like, you know, most people who like would have like this serious medical uh, <laughs> incident along with this might be go, wow, that was too intense for me. Like you had that plus you felt like. Yeah, that was incredible for me. Like, yeah, I mean, I remember thinking this is the future of opioid treatment. And it's because wow. I went through so many crappy treatments in the U.S. that didn't work and that didn't address things. Well, one of the problems with traditional detox and rehab is they do not address the neurochemical imbalances that are going to be there after years of a substance dependence. Your serotonin and dopamine and GABA and acetylcholine is all over the place. It's a mess. Like I remember going through a detox and going six months with no opioids and still feeling depressed and anxious every day because they're not addressing the imbalances that are there. And one of the great things about Ibogaine is it has a kind of resetting effect on your brain chemistry. So you feel excited and inspired just days afterwards. And you do not see that with a regular detox. So for me, I was just like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Um, my mom tells me that I was on the phone with her and I kept saying, I'm not in withdrawal. I'm not in withdrawal. And she's like, I know you already told me, but it was so after going through countless cold Turkey nightmare withdrawals in my life, it is unbelievable 
just to go through Ibogaine and not be sick. I mean, you're a little, you're still uncomfortable. There's maybe 20% of withdrawal symptoms left, depending on the drug you were on, but to not go through a full detox when you had a huge habit feels unbelievable. It feels unreal to an opioid user, a seasoned opioid user. So for me, I was like, wow, this is, this is it, man. I need to do everything I can to advance this and to advocate for people who've gotten bad treatment. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. Incredible. I mean, how did you, besides the not feeling like you wanted to do opioids anymore, what other aspects of yourself changed from that experience? Hmm, that's a really good question. I mean, like I was saying, finding my purpose and meaning was a huge deal. So it was like waking up and having something I was excited about and that was guiding me was a huge difference. Um, not feeling like I needed to hide anything. I felt really empowered to share about what I've been through. Um, a lot of people feel super ashamed that they've been to jail, that they've been homeless, that they've been beaten up or whatever. But for me, I feel empowered to talk about all those experiences. And I find that when I share those things without shame, it helps other people to dissolve the shame that they're feeling. And so I think that it just helped me to be more empowered and more confident. Um, but I also want to add that, you know, Ibogaine is an amazing tool, but it doesn't just magically fix everything. It's a great door opener. I would say it's the best door opener there is down the path, but there's still a lot of hard work that comes afterwards. And, you know, my issues with depression, anxiety weren't magically gone. It was still stuff I had to work through, although it was significantly better with Ibogaine than it would have been with any other drug treatment. Um, I still had a lot of work to do. And I want to emphasize that because right now psychedelics are being super sensationalized. And it's really dangerous to do that because if you tell somebody this is the magic fix or a solution or a cure, the word cure should never be used with any treatment. There's no cure for these things. Um, what that does to people is they set their expectations really high. When they come out of the treatment and realize there's a ton of work they have to do on themselves and on really hard emotions, they feel like, oh, it didn't work for me. Nothing's going to work for me. Fuck it. I'm just going to you know, go back to using and screw it. And so I think we really have to um, work on what our definition of success is, because it can really be anything that anyone wants. It's not just not ever doing a drug again. For some people, it's just reducing their use of that substance. They're only using certain substances. And that's totally fine. It's it's really got to be up to each person what their goals are. Wasn't this also very indicative of our society as a whole? We want the magic bullet. You know, we want something that like, hey, I want the path of least resistance for the greatest result for that. But we've kind of been socialized into that. A lot of marketing and things tries to pull people into this concept. But the reality is most things that are good in life require a lot of work. Like a I lot mean, of work. capitalism strikes again. It's all about marketing these quick fixes and magical things. It, it comes down to being profitable and it comes down to um, the Christian origins of capitalism about selling like heaven and hell and sins and being pure and all this bullshit is there it's like this binary where things are one way or the other they're either magically fixed all together or you're screwed and it's just not like that I mean healing is not linear it bounces all over the place and um, it's not realistic that you're gonna magically get rid of all of your stuff in, in one treatment or even in a series of treatments because we're talking about 
a lifetime of patterns that you're trying to change. It's going to be an ongoing process. Most definitely. I mean, I deal with this and and being in the fitness business for such a long time, two decades is, you know, you're always combating a thought process of, I want to look better, feel better very quickly. You know, I have this thing that I need to attend or I got to look this way for this thing. And it's like, no, this is a grind, actually. It takes a lot of time. Uh, But I wanted to get back to uh, something you said, you know, related to spirituality, religion. What is the spiritual aspect of Ibogaine? How, How is that wrapped into it? Or is there not? An aspect of that i don't know yeah it's real that's really a subjective thing it's different for each person i would say that the spiritual element of ibogaine is integral to the experience but how that manifests really depends on the person themselves some people really connect with buiti and they do ibogaine without knowing anything about buiti and um, then later they tell you about their visions and it's describing buiti ceremony which is quite amazing people are saying that they go to Africa and they watch these rituals and it's like identical to um, things that I've seen when I was there. So that's really special. And if some people feel that connection to Buiti, that's great, but that's not um, the only spiritual connection for everyone. I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's spirituality is subjective. I think that what it does is Ibogaine connects you to that part of yourself that believes in something bigger and whatever that means. It it connects you to some kind of hope and belief in yourself. And what that looks like depends on the person. Um, I think it's tricky too, because a lot of people don't understand the difference between religion and spirituality. They think it's the same thing and it's not necessarily. Um, So what that experience is like for them when I begin, it, it just really depends on the person. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a big topic of discussion. I mean, in many ways, religion is just one tentacle of spirituality on a larger thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a it's a spectrum, like many things, I believe. And it's uh, but it feels like with psychedelics on a higher higher level, just a kind of thirty thousand foot level, that the spiritual nature of psychedelics is one of the, I think, the incredible aspects of it, that people start connecting to something way deeper and bigger. Uh, than themselves. It feels like a very common uh, feedback from a lot of experiences is the spiritual aspect of however that manifests for that. But that I feel like that's something is it feels like a very common uh, aspect to it, you know, although it may be different, but it feels common in, in, in that in the experiences that people have. Yeah, I agree. It does seem to be um, a common element. Now, do you think that um, there will be, like, what's the current research with Ibogaine? I know you talked about the FDA and stuff, but is there, like, like with psychedelics, there's certainly a lot more happening with psilocybin, especially in different colleges and studies. Where's Ibogaine with that? Yeah, so there, it depends on the part of the world you're talking about. So New Zealand was the first to make it a legally prescribable drug, uh, 10 years ago, 10-ish, I can't remember the exact year. So that was the first country to pass it. Um, I think actually right now, no one's giving treatments there, but you could, and there were people practicing for a while. South Africa also passed it as legally prescribable. And then Brazil really is doing a huge wealth of research on it. And it is legally prescribable in Sao Paulo state and soon to be all of Brazil, thanks to a doctor named 
Bruno Rasmussen Chavez, he really spearheaded a number of different studies on ibogaine for cocaine dependence. Uh, so that's exciting. In the US, there is Demerex doing some clinical trials with ibogaine. I feel like I'm actually, I wrote an article a year and a half ago and was up on the research to that point. But in the last year, there's been developments that I may not be aware of. Um, but I know that Demerex is working on trials. And I think there might be someone else. And I just can't think of it right now. But um, I'm sure there's more to come. Oh, also, another important one is um, a group called ICERS in Spain is doing okay. a really exciting study on a low dose protocol developed by Claire Wilkins, one of my friends and colleagues. Um, for low dose ibogaine for methadone. The methadone and suboxone are really tricky to get off of and they the one dose of ibogaine doesn't work for them. So you have to do this um, really intensive daily dosing of, of small amounts of ibogaine for a long period. And she developed that protocol and it's being used on this study by ICERS in Spain. So it's really exciting. That's to be really interesting. I mean, you're dealing in this uh portion of psychedelics that i think just not a lot of people are aware of honestly i mean i if i mean i interview a lot of people in the larger space and most of it is psilocybin or ketamine things of that nature it's, it's great and stuff but this feels like a very uh it's like a very niche part of it you know? it is it just is my wrong about that was like, no it's the nichest part and actually ibogaine has its own community that's mostly been separate from the mainstream psychedelic community. Like when I go to big psychedelic conferences like Horizons, I it might only be me representing Ibogaine there, or maybe there's a couple other people um, there. But it, Ibogaine has traditionally had its own community because of all of the really specific needs of Ibogaine, all of the medical stuff and safety risks. We've had our own conferences and it's on a much smaller scale. And there hasn't been a ton of crossover into the greater psychedelic field, although I see it happening more now. Um, so I, that might change, but yeah, traditionally we've had our own little community going on. Is it, is it also partially maybe like, is it the accessibility factor of Ibogaine versus other psychedelics? Yeah, that could be it. It's, I think it's like, it's not recreational. Pretty much all the other ones are, um, people like that. <laughs> and People aren't going, you don't just go and try Ibogaine because you're curious. I mean, some people do that, but I actually don't recommend it because it's so intense. It'll kick your ass and bring up some stuff you're not ready for. Um, it's, it's also expensive. I mean, depending on the type of treatment that you want, it can be from five to 15 K. And so it's typically something that someone goes and does if they have a really big issue that they want to work on, that they want to focus on, um, yeah. And it, and it's also not so fun. So people aren't just doing it to check it out and see what it's about. What kind of visions am I going to get? It's like, no, you want to have something really clear to work on. Okay. So there's definitely some, um, I don't mean, I, barrier sounds like the wrong word to say. There's definitely more hurdles uh, to uh, think about I'm just it's it's it seems like you have to think about like this is something you really have to prepare for versus being like yo what's up I'm gonna do this you know it's like <laughs> like let's try this out and I think that in itself makes it I think less the frequency of people doing it is probably a lot less uh, because yeah. you're gonna get a certain type of person who it sounds like who may be 
uh, really, I may, again, this may sound, maybe they're more desperate uh, for a change or yeah, this is I mean, the last usually, resort or something, you know? It usually is the last resort. Like a lot of times people will go to ayahuasca first and ayahuasca is really hard too, but it's more accessible and more affordable and you don't need a bunch of medical tests to do it. Like you do yeah. it by being, um, and also there's a misconception that Ibogaine is only for substance use issues. But actually when I worked in clinics, I think more than half the people I helped treat were what we call psycho-spiritual, um, which is non-drug detox. It's people working on various psychological issues, mm -hmm. depression, trauma, um, PTSD, anxiety. So you can do it for other issues, but it, it's the same thing. It's something that you would find after trying a lot of the mainstream treatments and having them not work. I mean, this made me think of something, um, you know, there is obviously there's sides or proponents of psychedelics for well people, people, you know, don't have these issues. They maybe they just feel very stable in life, but they may try your typical psychedelics just for enlightenment purposes or a higher uh, level of uh, feeling as a human being. Is that ever the case for using Ibogaine? I mean, I'm sure someone's done that, but I just want to say that I think everybody has something big to work on yeah. and that like, if a person is saying, oh, I don't, and everything's good, they're probably the ones that are in for a rude awakening. If they do, I think <laughs> it'll dig up some stuff that you are not ready to deal with. And that's why you want to be really serious and specific with what you're focusing on um, with Ibogaine. It's interesting. It just sounds like you know, there's, it almost feels like there's tears to the psychedelic, um, like entry point and that like Ibogaine's like the, the, the big, big, like, hey, this is the level. It's like, if you're playing a video game, this is the master level. Like you yeah. have not, you cannot pass. You have to beat the other bosses before you come to this level type of thing. It, you know? it kind of is like that, but yeah. But also some of the people I know who've had the most beautiful transformative experience experiences have never done a psychedelic before yeah because i i think the way that works is they don't have expectations as much as other people like people that show people that have done ayahuasca 60 times and five meo however many times can often have the hardest experiences because they're looking for something specific and that's the other thing that i mean you you got to come open because you can get any plethora of things some people will have these really amazing like long visions to tell you about like a storyline from start to finish, just these incredible things they saw and beings they interacted with. Other people talk to dead ancestors. Some people relive suppressed childhood trauma that was really, really hard to relive and that they weren't expecting. And then I didn't, for example, I didn't remember anything. And that happens sometimes too. And so it really depends on the person. Um, it's a wild card. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. But What's your future with Ibogaine? Like, what do you see yourself doing with this and how it's like going to be a part of your life moving forward? That's a really good question. I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I'm in my last semester of a social work master's um, with the goal of being a psychotherapist. And I am sure I'm going to continue my work doing prep and integration with people doing Ibogaine treatment. I'm also want to continue my work as a consultant for clinics. Um, which is sometimes I give people safety training and mental health training who are opening new clinics. I love doing that. Um, 
I also, my big dream would be to have a training and certification process for people working in Ibogaine, even though we can't force anyone to be certified because Ibogaine treatment as of now exists beyond regulation. And so anyone can open a clinic in Mexico with a couple thousand dollars, which is a little scary. Um, yes. So I still would like to have a training program available because people are showing up out of nowhere all the time, opening clinics without training. So I would love to do that. It might be in conjunction with um, our organization, it's called GITA, uh, Global Ibogaine uh, Therapy Alliance. It was operating for some years and shut down. It's now being revived. Um, so we might all work together to come up with some kind of program. I'm not sure, don't like, I, I can't guarantee that. I can't speak on their behalf, but it's something sure. that's been talked about for a while. Um, and the, the other thing is, is you know, 50% of the message I got when I did Ibogaine, was that it was my job to work to transform the drug treatment system in the US and how people understand substance use. And that's not just pushing ibogaine treatment. That's like a core philosophical thing because the way that people understand uh, problematic drug use is completely skewed and wrong. And I don't know if you know Dr. Carl Hart. I do. Um, he's amazing. And he's done some really groundbreaking research that has shown that I mean, one, addiction is not a disease. It, it doesn't even fit the definition of a disease. It's not something you're doomed to have forever. Many people try hard drugs and don't end up with a problem. That's true. Um, and a lot of people who uh, have problems with substances can later on not have problems with substances anymore because as you address the core issues, you won't need to numb yourself out anymore. Um, and so I think there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of really bad treatment um, that's super hierarchical and tells people, don't listen to yourself. You don't know any better. You have a disease. You have to submit. Yeah, you have to say that you're powerless. Um, they use these horrible dehumanizing terms like clean and dirty and, and horrible terms like addict that are equally dehumanizing. And so a lot of my work, I, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but ultimately I would love to develop curriculum and give training to clinicians in the field on how to work with people using substances um, and to get rid of these old archaic rehabs um, that push this, uh, like this agenda pushing nonsense that makes people feel super disempowered. So I don't know what that's gonna look like. I don't know how I'm gonna balance doing my Abigail work with that. Um, time will tell. I'm still envisioning now uh, what everything's gonna look like. I mean, I think that's a good answer. I mean, it's hard to know what the future is. I mean, and I talked to so many people in the larger space, and I think there's a lot of hope for uh, psychedelics in general and uh, all the amazing experiences and the research that's happening. But man, am I glad that there are a lot of people like yourself out there who are making this part of their life's work. Uh, yeah. To help others. And there's also a lot of other research happening on different psychedelics for substance use issues. Uh, mescaline for one. Yep. An org called Journey is working on that. I, I think that all the psychedelics have promised to treat people who struggle with substance use or other behavioral issues too. So yeah. it's really exciting time. It is. And I think it's also kind of as we end here, it's just there's a re-education that has to happen with how we view these things. Uh, clearly, I mean, there's People still have stigmas from way in the past about um, these substances. And, you know, again, it's just what they were socialized into in many ways or what was fed to them instead of really thinking about it and looking into it actually uh, for yeah. that. So people like yourself are leading the charge. And uh, 
I was super stoked when you were open to talking to me because I was like, I know nothing about Ibogaine, like <laughs> nothing. I need I need to educate myself. I had heard from one friend like several years ago who was like, I, I think I'm going to like I, I'm I'm desperate. I'm going to try this. And I was like, what is that? Like and I, you know, so I've yeah. been on this journey to find someone who like really deals in this. And uh, cool. it's amazing that we got to connect. So please let everyone know how they can connect with you, Juliana. Yeah, um, my Instagram is one way at Juliana MU. It's J U L I A N A M U. Or my website is Inner Vision Ibogaine. You can connect with me through there. Um, yeah, I would say those are the ways. Fantastic. Juliana, thank you so much for spending some yeah, time. Thank with you. Me. Yeah, thank really you for having me. Of course. Juliana, everyone, thank you. Thanks. Download Upside and start getting cash back wherever you roll. It's like having your own hype man. Get an average of 17% cash back at restaurants. Oh, it's dinner time. Average of 13% on groceries. Get those groceries. 10 cents per gallon average cash back on gas. It's go time. Plus, cash back at participating convenience stores too. Stacks on stacks. Users can earn hundreds of dollars a year, three times more than other apps. Upside, show me that money. All right, we get it. Get it. It's easy. Just sign up for the free Upside app and start getting cash back for doing you. Download the free Upside app and use promo code DOYOU10 for an extra $10 cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's promo code DOYOU10 for an extra $10 on the free Upside app. Get cash back for doing you with the free app from Upside.